When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Boys in the Band podcast. I'm Peter Smith. And I'm Richard Gallagher. And this week we're joined by Matt McManaman from the Dead 60s. Now this band had a huge, huge hit back in the day with Riot Radio. It was a big one over here in the UK, but it also saw the band gain lots of traction and lots of radio play in America. Here's Matt on how it all came together. We just felt it was a good tune. We just thought, yeah, this is a really good tune. And we just thought, this this will be a this will be a great one live. This will get people going. And that's kind of how we thought about it, because we didn't do a whole lot of recording at this particular time. We weren't really in and out of the recording studio a whole lot. We were basically the our main kind of focus was on playing live and doing the best shows that we can. And I remember when that when Riot Radio kind of came came about, it was just like, this is gonna be a, a romper stomper, this, you know what I mean? It's gonna get everyone going mental. And that's how how, how we kind of thought of it. And then when we did eventually get it down onto tape and record it type thing. Yeah, listening back then you go, Yeah, this this is this sounds special, you know, this sounds good. Yeah, big tune that one. But in fact, the Dead 60s album was packed with good songs with every single of it going into the top 30 in the charts. So Matt talks us through the band's success at that time and some of the big shows they did. Yeah, he does. And he then talks us through a very unexpected and really disappointing twist in their story. Uh, The band's finished second album wasn't released anywhere other than France. Really interesting story, this. And Matt tells us exactly what happened. Yeah, and despite that blow, though, Matt has gone on to play with the specials. Obviously, heroes for him with uh, their scar sound. And listen out to a brilliant story about how they recruited him. That uh, had, had me and Rich in stitches, didn't it, Rich? He did. He is a really funny guy. He's got a great laugh on him. Uh, he, he knows how to tell a good story, so it makes for a really good podcast. So uh, have a listen. Hit us up on our social media channels and do leave us a review. But for now, here's Matt McManaman from the Dead 60s. Now, this week on the Boys in the Band podcast, we're joined by Matt McManaman from the Dead 60s. How's it going, Matt? Good, very good, thank you. Yeah, good. Yeah, delighted to have you on, Matt. Thanks for coming. Um, we kick off our podcast with a little sound check to get started. So, uh, first of all, uh, where are we speaking to you from tonight? I'm just in, in my house. Uh, in a, it's, it's a place called Tom Brack, which is in County Wexford, and it's in, in Ireland. I live in Ireland, you know. So, how did you end up on the other side of the Irish Sea? I love it. I mean, obviously, my uh, my family all originally stemmed from Ireland anyway. You know, I'm, I'm Liverpool Irish, like, you know, so all, all my life I was always back and forth between Liverpool and Ireland, you know. So then it was about about 13 years ago now I came back and, and came back for good. And, you know, I've been here ever since, basically, you know. <laughs> oh, nice. Very nice, yeah. yeah. Now, Matt, second question in the sound check is, what are you listening to at the moment? What bands are you into? Um, well... Fuck all, to be honest, because I hate music. You know, <laughs> 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 no, I'm only messing. But I, but I must admit to you, like as the kind of years have rolled on, I have found myself kind of, sort of like turning into a bit of a grumpy old man. It was a bit like you know, uh, I hate I hate all, any kind of contemporary music because I think it's all dog shit. You know, <laughs> so I've become like this bit of thing. But but I mean, there is a, a couple of things we just say. Um, one album that I got recently that came out was the, the DMA's new album, 
Yeah, yeah I've, I've really liked them. I've liked them since since the start, since I kind of someone introduced me to them, and I love them. Um, who else? There's a band from Dublin, actually, an Irish band that I do that seems to be making making a few waves. A band called Fontaines DC. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I love them as well. That debut album is fantastic. Yeah. A real sort of yeah, uh, like the, yeah, the de- yeah. The debut album, the debut album I really enjoyed. Now the second mm. album that, that that's just come out, it's took me a little bit longer to kind of get get into it. Do you know mm. what I mean? I don't yeah, want, I don't want I don't want to be one of these people who go, Oh yeah, Fontaine's DC, oh the early stuff's great. But, <laughs> 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 but, but I but I like them and but and there's actually a band uh, that I recently got turned on to, a Liverpool band, because I must admit, because obviously I live up in Ireland now, and I'm a bit out of touch with whatever, what, what's going on in Liverpool and the UK in general, to be honest with you. But there was a band called uh, uh, Psycho Comedy. I don't know if you heard of them. Uh, mm. Someone just put me on to them. They're a Liverpool band that's starting to kind of get known and stuff. Bit, bit, bits and pieces of them. I think they're going to be good. But also, uh, only that last couple of days... I was listening to, because I tend to listen to older stuff, I suppose, but um, I was kind of rediscovering my love for The Replacements. I don't oh, know yes. if you yeah. and, and, and Paul Westerberg, I think, the singer, I think he's a brilliant songwriter. I love this. I love all his solo stuff, and in particular, his album, uh, it, was out, it was out a good few years back now, but uh, it's Sewer Kane Gratification, I think is how you pronounce it. That, I think that's just a fabulous album. I think he's a... a Brilliant songwriter, and uh, you know, I've been kind of rediscovering my love for them because I used to listen to them quite a lot, probably 10 15 years ago, even more. Do you know? So, I'm kind of sort of like, if you like, slightly sort of rediscovering my youth and what I was kind of listening to when I was a bit younger, you know, because, uh, because like I said, <laughs> I started to turn into a grumpy old man. <laughs> Keep getting back to the old favourites. I think that's the way to go, isn't it? Going yeah, those tried yeah, and trusted yeah. albums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, R2, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lovely stuff. And then um, last question in the sound check, Matt, is um, is about live music. Uh, I don't know how long it's been since you last went to a gig, but can you can you think back to the best gig from recent memory for you? Um, I suppose recently, I don't really go to that many gigs for, for, for the main reasons, because where I live in Ireland, I, I live... In rural Ireland, I live in the countryside, like right out in the sticks, do you know what I mean? And there's not really much going on. I mean, like where I live, for, for example, there's a, there's a pub, a post office and a little shop, like a little sweet shop, a little news agent, you know, that's it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I kind, of, I kind of live this kind of, uh, you know, the country life, the rural life. But I did, it was actually not, not too long before this whole lockdown bloody malarkey started. I went to Dublin, to the big city, to the, <laughs> to the smoke, you know. <laughs> and I went up because a fellow scouser was up there playing, uh, doing a, a solo acoustic thing, and that was John Power from Cast. Oh, nice. oh, brilliant, he, yeah. He, he was in the Lars. So that, that was actually the last gig I went, I went to see. And that was, that was a great one. It was just like a sort of little club gig around sort of 200 people type thing. Just him on his own, acoustic guitar, knocking out the tunes really? and you forget like how many good songs he's got and mm. I'd, I'd forgot like I was a fan anyway do you know what I mean but but you forget like and you go wow Jesus he hasn't half written you know some crackers there he's got a yeah. good good arsenal of songs and you know yeah. kind of I was listening to him and was kind of like well yeah yeah well, I wouldn't mind nicking that but you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 but, uh, but that, that, that was the last, last one I went to and it was also nice to 
you know, see, see a fellow Scouser. And as well, John Powell was actually from the exact same uh, neighbourhood that I'm from in Liverpool, you know. So so that was cool. So, yeah, that was the last one I went to. But, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, good guitarist as well, isn't he? Really good. Yeah, well, I'd, yeah, I'd, and I particularly love his voice. Yeah, and, it's say, funny, yeah. I, and it's funny, I have heard some people, some critics, if you like, I've heard some people say, oh, I love his songs, but uh, not sure about his voice. And I'm like, what are you on about his voice? Yeah. I, I personally love his voice. And, and yeah, although he must be knocking on 50 now, possibly even a, li- a little bit older, like 51, 52, early 50s, I'm pretty yeah. sure he is. And he, he hasn't lost the voice at all. You know, as some, some singers, as they get older, from the, the voices just change or they lose it and you know from drinking and smoking and whatever they might have been yeah. doing the voice goes he's still got it he's got it pure like you know yeah, so, good yeah yeah, it, yeah yeah i mean his last was sort of quite early 90s when they say he's yeah he's been going going quite a while so yeah yeah, yeah he's been yeah. on the go for a long time <laughs> fair play some hats off to him man to be yeah. able to keep going so yeah that was the last one i went to anyway nice. yeah Nice. Well, let's get into it then, Matt. Well, actually, just before we do get into the Dead 60s, we've got to talk first about uh, Pinhole. So this is a band oh, you're in, yeah. you know, for people listening who might not know, this is a band you're in before, and you had some success with them, and uh, perhaps you can yeah. tell us about some of the big bands you ended up touring with, but then how you ended up sort of winding that band down and then rebooting as the Dead 60s. Yeah, well, I suppose Pinhole was kind of like, if, if you like to sort of use an Americanism, it was like my high school band you know, type thing, and but even even though I had, I did actually have a band before that, but we, we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really going back. But it's the first kind of proper band where we really tried to, you know, be serious musicians and try and sort of write good songs, record good songs, do gigs, and really try and sort of, um, you know, get ourselves known and 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 get trying to capture an audience type thing, you know, which we managed to do, knocking around Liverpool, especially in the sort of the, the little scene that was going on in Liverpool. We were playing sort of every venue that would have us, we would play in Liverpool. And, uh, you know, we managed to sort of create a bit of traction, uh, if you like. And we ended up actually getting a small little record deal. We actually kind of had two little in, indie record deals. Uh, one was with John Robb. I don't know if you know John Robb from Manchester. He was in... Uh, the membranes and then gold blade and he's kind of a bit of a bit of a head on the Manchester scene. He had started up a record label and he he he'd seen us play a couple of times and he just said, you know, do you fancy doing an EP with me? So we said yes. So we did an EP. We did that. It's just got a one-off thing. And then from that we ended up then we did a single, like a double A side single with uh, another Manchester-based record label called Red Alert. Um, and the guy called Liam Walsh signed us up. That, that sadly actually ended in, in disaster. He actually ended up bringing us to court. He sued the dead 60s. Oh, <laughs> you know, so we did, we did release like two CDs, you know, in a kind of semi-professional way, which was great. And, you know, we'd, we'd start to sort of get little bits and bobs of radio play. Um, we actually ended up doing a John Peel session, believe it or not. And I was only like, I think I was 18 or 19, so pretty young. And we got invited down to May the Vale to London to do that. So there was all little bits and bobs like that go, go happening. We'd started kind of touring off our own back, to like self-financed tours, like literally in a shitty clapped out old van going around the place. Um, and and yeah, we would kind of, we, we would mainly support anyone who was, anyone and everyone who was passing through Liverpool, any of the major sort of, 
big bands that didn't have a tour and support with them, we would always get the shout to come and to come and do it. So we played play with loads of stuff. But uh, I suppose probably the biggest gig we ever did as Pinhole, and in, in, in fairness, it was probably the sort of the height of our career was when we were asked to go. It was just a, a one-off gig, unfortunately. We were asked to support Green Day, you know, the yeah. um, American uh, West Coast pop punk band, who, 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 who at the time, and, and especially when I was younger, growing up in my teenage years, I was a big fan of Green Day. They were a big influence. I, I loved them. And I loved, I loved pretty much all their albums, well, especially the first three albums. But then obviously that the real big album, Dookie, that album, that was like, I, I love that. So then we got asked to do that. And uh, yeah, that, that was like, uh, I can remember actually, it was, we got asked to come do the, it was in Newcastle. We went to Newcastle and we played this big, massive arena to 10,000 people, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but, but like I said, it, it, look, looking back, I mean, obviously like the, things like the John Peel session, that was brilliant, of course. But do, gig, gig wise, doing that, the huge kind of arena gig supporting these big, you know, millionaire superstar punk rockers type thing that was kind of like the hype of the career you know so it sounds then like you're on a you know a really good path already with that yeah you know, with that band i know you were saying you're still fairly young 18 19 but so yeah. what, what was the decision then to stop that band and then sort of come again as the dead 60s so yeah so towards the end of kind of the the the, 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 the pinhole days we'd all kind of naturally started to our music uh, taste had started to change and our influences had start, started to change because we had that whole pin-off thing, we were just teenagers, you know, and then as we were kind of sort of getting, if you like, to becoming men, you know, and <laughs> as we were getting sort of 20, 21, that kind of age, we'd really started to like listen to a lot more like Jamaican stuff and like ska and reggae and dub. And in particular, I mean, like the Clash, I was always a massive fan of the Clash. I still am a big fan of the Clash. I love the way that they, they would combine like reggae and ska and Jamaican influences with their, with their music. And then so just, just I, I guess, just kind of then started to feel uh, like we'd outgrown our sound that we had in Pinhole, which was very much a kind of, not dissimilar to Green Day and them kind of like West Coast American early 90s punk bands, but we were trying to keep it, you know, m- melodic, like abrasive, but trying to keep it sort of like, British or English sound and do you know what I mean and we just yeah, yeah we just kind of outgrew that sound and we just matured basically and then from from that from all them other influences coming in like the Jamaican stuff uh it, you know the songwriting was changing and we were keen to try a new sound uh and it basically just kind of evolved then into the start of the dead 60s yeah and um and then things obviously kicked on for the dead 60s pretty quickly and I know you signed with uh, Delta Sonic you know same label as the Zootons and Coral yeah. must have been a, a nice exciting scene on Merseyside at that time of uh, time yeah. Band. yeah I mean that, that time was, there was a brilliant time that uh, there was a good you know couple of years where Liverpool was just buzzing uh, especially you know through this whole Delta Sonic thing and it was just yeah it was it was just a joy to kind of be, be involved in it uh, I mean Alan Wills who was the 
you know, the founder, the MD of Deltonic, who sadly, he's passed away now. He passed away a couple of years ago, about four or maybe five years ago. Um, I, I'd actually known him for, for many years since I was a teenager, just on the scene, on the Liverpool scene, back in the pinhole days. He used to come and see us play as pinhole. And he always used, at, at that time, he was an A&R man for London Records. He got made redundant. And basically, after he got made redundant with his kind of like his redundancy money, he used to tell us, I'm going to start up a record label, I'm going to keep an eye on you, you know, we might be able to do something, but nothing that ever came of it because we were still kind of doing this teenage pinhole punky thing. Um, and then, you know, when when the Dead Sixties started, it was, we were kind of like, right, what, what shall we do? We've got these tunes, we've got this sound, we've got this band, who do we know that might be able to help us? You know, kind of like racking your brain saying, what kind of contacts might we be able to do? And then we're like, oh, hang on. Light bulb moments. What about Wil- Wilsey, as we used to call him, Wilsey? And we're like, oh yeah, he's got Delta Sonic now. And he just at that time, if I remember rightly, he only had the Coral, um, and he had a band called The Basements. I don't know if you remember them. They were one of his first ever signings, but they sadly didn't really get off the mark, and kind of nobody they sort of like fell by the wayside. And then I remember the Zootons because I knew some of the lads from the Zootons. And they were talking about, it looks like they were going to get signed. Uh, so then, yeah, anyways, then, cut a long story short, we said, oh, well, let's give Willsey a shout. So we gave him a shout and we said, listen, we've got this band on the go now. We think you might like it. It's completely different to anything that, that you've known us to do in the past. Would you? We didn't even ask him if you'd like, you know, give us a record deal. We just said, would, would you come down and have a listen to us and maybe give us some advice? Do you know what we should be doing? What you know? What what can you help us out? Type thing. And he said, "Oh, sure, yeah, I'll come down." And he came down to see us. He said, oh, "I really, really love it. Really love it." And that kind of you know went on for maybe a couple of weeks, a month maximum. He was coming down kind of every week to see how we were progressing, what songs we were writing, how how it was sounding. And we just came on leaps and bounds with his bit of input and his bit of uh, you know advice and kind of nurturing. And then he just said, "Listen." I'd, I'd like to sign you up and, and let's do a record. And we were like, yeah. <laughs> 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 and it kind of happened just, just like that, like really, really quickly, do you know? And it was funny because we always used to laugh that um, we, we we got the, the, the record deal with, with Delta Sonic and Alan and we the Dead 60s had never done a gig as the Dead 60s. So we got a, a record deal without even playing a gig. Oh, you know? wow. <laughs> it's just, I mean, obviously, obviously we had, you know, learned our trade and earned our stripes, if you like, previously in Pinhole, because it was all the same members of Pinhole who were in the dead 60s as well. So, so uh, I mean, we, so we, we had done the scene and the circuit, but technically, if you want to, you know, technically we've never done a gig and got a record deal. So it was just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great story, isn't it? That's incredible. Um yeah, pick up, but as you say, sort of built on the foundations from that original band that you were in. So yeah. that's cool. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, Riot Radio was obviously a real break, breakthrough song for you guys, wasn't it? Now, you know, yeah. just tell us about the writing process of that, um, sort of how it sort of encapsulated the sound that this new version of your band were, or as, as the Dead Sixties were yeah, aiming oh, for. Well, see, the writing process in the Dead Sixties, basically the way we kind of did it was... Uh, I was very much the kind of the lyric man, you know, and the main, Charlie, Charlie Taylor, who's the bass player, 
who's uh, I, I've, I've known Charlie since I was 11 years of age. We met in school and all the rest of it, you know, so well over 20 years we've been mates. He, he kind of, you know, found himself in a position where he was, his songwriting was really, really coming on. And he was like going at it like hell for leather and almost like every, every day he'd have a new tune, sometimes even two, two new songs, you know. So he kind of took it upon himself to be the main songwriter, which was brilliant. And I was always the lyric man and that's kind of ha- ha- how we worked. Uh, so he would always come in with, with basically the main idea for a song. Uh, it might not be finished. Sometimes it might be fully finished, but we used to do a lot of jamming. You know, you just come in with like a bit of an idea, uh, a bit of a vibe, a bit of a, j- just just a general kind of feel of what we wanted to do. And we, we used to just kind of like, then all of us would just, jam out this idea and you know within within an hour or two a couple of hours it would have shaped into a song and 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 that's kind of how it, how it always went how it always went you know did you realize at that time then matt that, you, that when uh, when charlie came in with the, the tune for right radio or if you wrote the lyrics for it did you realize that you're on to something important then did you realize you had a special song on your hands there we just um, not not really we just felt it was a good tune and we just thought, mm. yeah, this is a really good tune. And we just thought this, this will be a, this will be a great one live. This will get people going. And that's kind of how we thought about it because we didn't do a whole lot of recording at this particular time. We weren't really in and out of the recording studio a whole lot. We were basically then our main kind of focus was on playing live and doing the best shows that we can. And I remember when that, when Riot Radio kind of, Came, came about, it was just like, this has got to be a, a romper stomper, this, you know what I mean? It's got to get everyone going mental. And that's how, how, how we kind of thought of it. And then when we did eventually get it down onto tape and record it type thing, yeah, listening back then, you go, yeah, this, this, is, this sounds special, you know, this sounds good. So yeah, it was kind of like, yeah, we sort of felt we were onto a, a, onto a bit of a winner there, do you know? <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> The thing um, that's good to ask as well, Matt, is you know that, that sort of scar sound that the Dead Sixties were famous for. You know, it's historically always done really well in the UK that kind of sound. But I didn't really think it had been particularly accepted massively in in the US. But, but it did for you guys. You know, you had a big cut through in in the states, and so yeah. much so it, you even had to delay the UK uh, release date, the debut album, because you were so busy in America. Yeah, that that that's right. Yeah, the um, the the album actually first came out in America um, a couple of months before it was it came out in the UK and everywhere else and that was just because we'd gone over there on tour and p- partly one of the reasons we were over there was we had American management uh, we had the, we were managed by a guy called Peter Mensch who his company's called Q Prime and they were like these big heavyweight management company who you know they like they, they managed Metallica, <laughs> the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, and, and there's, there's more, do you know what I mean? But all, these, all these big, big fucking acts, like, do you know what I mean? And they decided to take us on, which was a bit mad altogether, do you know what I mean? And, they, and because they were based in New York, they were, ju- they were very kind of, they were, they were almost a bit like, ah, who cares about England? Come over to the States and we'll crack the States and we'll be millionaires. <laughs> you know, this kind of stuff. And at, and at, that, and at that age, when somebody's saying to you, you know, we, 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 we just like, I'd just come off the dole, do you know what I mean? I was used to living on, on the dole off nothing. And then all of a sudden you've got a record deal, a bit of money in your pocket, and then this, this American guy is going, come over to New York, I'm going to fly you first class. And we're just like, 
yeah, yeah, take us there, do you know? <laughs> but we, we didn't mind kind of staying out there for as long as we did. But in hindsight, it meant that we neglected kind of the UK and, and Europe, do you know? Um, but, but yeah, but, but, but yeah, the tour in, in, in America, all of a sudden, it was, it was based kind of down to college radio. College radio first picked up on my radio and it was getting blasted everywhere. Uh, and then from that, there was like a knock-on effect where then some of the bigger radio stations were picking it up and picking it up. And at one stage, it was, the th- I think, the third most added song. Uh, was already getting, the only other two that was beating us was um, Coldplay and The White Stripes. Oh, wow. And it was us. So, and this kind of like little mad time, this little bubble, this little period of time, we were like, you know, we're almost like, you know, famous man, you know, with the States. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then the gig, the gig started to pick up. We were selling out gigs in, in America when we weren't selling out gigs in the UK. So I suppose that it did make sense to stay out there. So that's why we stayed out there for, for a long time, you know. That's funny, isn't it? You know, so many English bands struggle to break America, as they say, and uh, but, yeah, you, know, you guys pulled it off pretty quickly. So, how did how did the yeah how did you find the American fans? How did they respond to your music and your gigs? Yeah, they, they, were, they were great. American fans are really good. I I, I really enjoy the car fault them to be honest with you. Do you know what I mean? And it's just I suppose when people are picking up on something and people are wanting you to be there and there's demand for you to go and play and there's demand for, for people to, to listen to your songs and your material, it just, just makes that sense to be out there. And uh, I mean, I have to admit, like as quick as quickly as it got good or got big, if you like, as quickly as it happened, it, 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 you know, almost like five minutes later, it was going back downhill. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> In the States, you know, it was a weird kind of, a flash in the pan type thing you know but it was a it was a great little period where you know because we were we were kind of out there for oh it was something like it was sort of like approximately sort of like 18 months where it was like happening happening and then it just kind of died off so then we kind of then concentrated back more on the uk and europe but like i just mentioned previously we'd sadly neglected the uk because we've been in America so much, and then you come back to the UK and people almost kind of forgotten about you, and then you had to start again and really had to graft and start doing all these gigs and stuff like that. So it, it was quite a hard time, a brilliant time, an amazing time, the best time of my life. I've got so many great, fabulous memories, and I'm, I'm so I feel so grateful and blessed that I was able to do that. But because, like I said, because we'd been in America for so long, then you'd come back to the UK, you'd have to start again at the bottom. Then it'd be like, no, you've got to come back to America. We were literally back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like no tomorrow, do you know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> it was uh, a bit kind of, a bit, bit wild, you know? Yeah, wild time, definitely. Yeah. We'll take a quick breather there, Matt, but we'll, um, we'll talk a bit more about the first album and what came next including why we never got a second album on these shores and uh, what it's like playing with the specials too. Hi, yeah, I'm Matt McManaman uh, from the Dead 60s and you're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. You're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. For more naughty nostalgia, check out our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages and make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast for more interviews like this.
Welcome back to the Boys in the Band podcast, where we're joined by Matt, frontman from the dead 60s. Matt, we've spoken about Right Radio. Um, but, you know, in truth, there are three other singles that charted higher than that in the UK, uh, all top 30. Um, so yeah. looking back at that day, we must feel, you know, you had a lot of good work on that. You had a lot of good, good songs on that debut album. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I love the album. I, I, it's great. It's funny, though, but sometimes when I think back to that album, I, I do kind of kind of have to remember and almost remind myself the recording process of that was quite difficult, you know, um, for a couple of reasons. One, we'd never done a full album before. And that process, it is actually a lot harder than you think to do, like an album, a collection of songs, an LP, a long play, whatever you want to call it. And also when we started recording that album, it was only really half written. We didn't really do the preparation as, as well as, as we should have, really, do you know? <laughs> so, it's a bit like, a bit like a, a naughty school kid who goes into school, hasn't done his homework or whatever, and he's got an exam on, you know, algebra or whatever, and he hasn't got a clue what's going on. So it, it, was, it, it, it was difficult at times because some of the songs were almost literally written in the studio, you know, or the, the little kind of glimpses of ideas that we had were written in the studio so it, it was quite it was quite hard to, to do it that way um but yeah i absolutely i was absolutely delighted and thrilled and made up that we managed to kind of pull it together uh shape the songs and get a really nice collection of songs and like you said that i think there was uh, you probably know better than me i think there was four or five singles came off that album do you know what i mean they all did respectively well mm. so you know the, the sense of achievement and kind of pride from doing that was, you know, it was special that, you know, really special. Yeah, it certainly was well received. So what is your, uh, what are your memories of then, when it finally came out over here and you guys did come back to the UK, what are your memories of, of touring it over, over here? Yeah, great, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was great when we kind of started, because at first, when we first started kind of touring, you would go out on support tours, basically. We didn't really do any of our own headline tours and we were lucky enough to be in the same stable as the Zootons, the Coral, and we, we, both of them bands were doing fantastically well. So it was like whenever the Coral went out or whenever the Zootons went out, it was like, you're taking the Dead 60s with you because your label mates and we were like, sound. Yeah. So then we, we, quite, we quite quickly got to do a lot of like big venues and stuff like that and, you know, fairly long tours. And when you do them, you automatically bring the po- poach, you know, the other band's fans and stuff like that. And that's what began our fan base to grow. So then quite quickly after that, we were in a position where we were doing club to club gigs as we come to sort of like the 300 capacities. And I think the first kind of club tour we did, we more or less sold out every venue. I mean, I know it's only 300 a night, but that, I mean, some of them gigs are the best ones, do you know what I mean? Better than the big ones. Yeah. So then, you know, just from that, it just started to grow and, and grow and grow. And then, you know, we would be getting decent festival slots and things like that. And the majority of the time, I don't know how it happened, to be honest with you, but the majority of the time, the promoters and whatever, they would always say, oh, no, we'll stick with that. So he's on the main stage. I mean, you might be on kind of early-ish, but I'll tell you that do, even doing the early slots on the main stage, you're playing to huge people mm. and you're getting, you know, um, a huge exposure. Mm. And it just kind of grew and grew, almost like a domino effect. So it was yeah. just like, yeah, it, it was, I, and it was lovely to see exciting, really exciting times, you know. And, uh, and you get this kind of like, 
yeah, you get this sense of pride and achievement and you kind of like go, go and bloody hell, it was only like, you know, two years ago I was playing to six people in, you know, a, a, a bar or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and now we're, doing like, now we're doing like proper gigs to a proper amount of people in proper venues uh, and, you know, using um, proper PA systems, proper speakers, this kind of stuff. And it just... Yeah, it was just it just grew kind of naturally, and it was yeah, yeah just just a wonderful, lovely time, man. Yeah, me and Rich both big fans of the Coral and the Zootons as well. We've seen yeah. them plenty of times, haven't we, Rich? So what what yeah. they like uh, off stage? Nice guys. Yeah, the, the love, lovely guys. I, I I must admit the Coral lads were very kind of quiet and kept themselves to themselves, and it was almost like they had their own little club, their own little gang. I mean, obviously you would occasionally. Uh, you know, get chatting to them and you'd have a beer or whatever backstage. But on the whole, they, they, they kind of kept themselves to, the, to themselves in their own little bubble, you know. Um, but the Zootons, we, we, we would have known the Zootons kind of anyway, just from knocking around Liverpool. And at one, at one stage, there were like a couple of certain bars and clubs in Liverpool where everybody kind of went and hung out on a Friday or Saturday night or whatever. And all the bands would kind of, you know, just, just, just have, have a couple of beers together and talk, well, talk shite about music, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> but we, we kind of knew them socially anyway. Uh, and yeah, ju- just just a, lo- a lot of fun on the road with them all, do you know what I mean? And, and like I said, it was, it was a great time. Was, everybody was around a similar age. I mean, the Coral and the Zootons were a little bit older than me and the rest of the Dead Sixes, but you know, similar, similar age. So it was kind of like, it, it was great when you got all them bands out together and it was kind of like, you know, Scousers on tour and we're all on the, all on the same record label. It was kind of like a like a like, like a mobile gang, you know, going yeah. around the place. That, and, and we got to play music and, and have, you know, uh, just a great laugh. Yeah, good times. I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then, um, then it was time for the second album uh, that came round, and you you guys headed over to New York, I believe, to to sort that one out. Time to take yeah. sides. It was called. Um, as we've already hinted already, it's got sort of an interesting story of what happened next. So yeah, just bring us up to speed in terms of you know. What, what you laid down and yeah and that strange sort of quirky thing about it not actually being released anywhere other than France yeah. I think it was the yeah, yeah. <laughs> <is what> I <laughs> <mentioned>. <laughs> speak in France focus on France yeah. <laughs> it, did, it, did, it did go a bit, a bit weird like um, well, where do I begin here? <laughs> um, so it was yeah I think let me just try and think of my dates my memory was not yeah it was 2007 early 2007 January just after Christmas and uh, we went over to New York. We, we kind of got an apartment in New York that we all uh, lived in. Now, when I say apartments, <laughs> I, I like to paint the picture, even though I'm lying, that it was like something out of Friends, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, it was, and it was like this lovely New York, like penthouse loft apartment, whatever you want to call it, with all the, all the uh, you know, the, the mod cons and all this kind of stuff but it, but what it was it was basically a bed sit in a, a really dodgy part on, on the Lower East Side of, uh, <laughs> of New York and they slung us in there for three months you know <laughs> <laughs> but, but for the purpose of this conversation we'll pretend it was like something out of friends you know <laughs> um, and yeah so we, we decided to go over to New York to do that and um, Prior to go, going out there, we were trying to get hold of, like, we didn't really know who was going to produce the album. We had approached certain producers, a couple of producers had approached us, 
inquiring about working with us. And in the end, anyway, we settled on a guy called David Kahn, his name was. And he done The Strokes. He'd done Paul McCartney. I think he'd done Depeche Mode and quite, quite a few other uh big accent which I can't I can't remember so yeah it was decided to go and do, do it there he had his own studio in New York and the record company the record label were just like yeah go out to New York and I remember at the time they were saying at that particular time to do with the um, the currency exchange rate and all this kind of stuff it worked out like really really cheap to go and pay for the studio and they got a good raise anyway and then for, I, I remember them going on saying oh yeah then the pound is really strong, or the pound is really weak, whichever whichever way it goes it's on the dollar. Yeah. So they kind of you think you think that they're treating us to go to New York? No, no, no. It was about <laughs> saving money. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> we didn't want to spend too much on. Yes, <laughs> 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 yeah, so, so we went out there. That that was brilliant. Um, and we also had a guy there doing that session who who would be famous in the kind of recording world. A guy called Joe Baresi. He was engineering it, and he was he, he kind of found fame with he was the man behind Queens of the Stone Age that band's doing their, mm-hmm. their sounds and their recording. So it was kind of quite a big deal. And one of the studios we went into because we did it between two studios. One was called I can't even remember what they were called, but one was the David Kahn's own studio, and the other was a place up, uptown in New York, and it was where like Bruce Springsteen and David Bowie and all them had recorded. It was quite a famous place, so. We were, we were buzzing to be in there. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, lots of kind of long story short. We did the album. It was great. And I have to say, it was one of the most enjoyable recording experiences I've ever had. It, it, not just because we're in New York and the right lights and all this kind of stuff. Ju- it was just the band were really, really kind of shit hot, man. We were together. We'd done all our homework. We'd written all the songs. We had everything nailed on. We were going in the studio knowing exactly what each of us had to do, what each of us wanted to do. There was no leaving it to chance or no kind of like, oh, we'll just jam it out and see what happens. You know, we all had work. We'd done pre-production. We, you know, everything we had prepared as best as we possibly could in a really professional way. And for me, that, that made the whole experience much more enjoyable. So I personally... Really, really, really loved doing that session, and I thought the al- I thought the album sounded great. I did. It was a bit of a departure from the first album, but I still I still thought it sounded brilliant. I really, really loved it. Um, so then, yeah, we've come to the end of doing that. That 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 album's finished. Kind of signed off. We delivered it to the record company because at this time we were on Sony. Then we jumped up to, to Sony because Sony had bought, um, had bought basically bought Delta Sonic. So Delta Sonic was a subsidiary of Sony, but you get bumped up to Sony. So we're on the, the Sony major label. And I suppose the most kind of, not, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the most kind of upsetting thing about it was we had all these Sony people coming down, all, you know, the, the big cats and all this kind of stuff. And at the time they were listening to the album and everyone was going, oh my God, I love the album. And everybody who was involved with us from managers, producers, promoters, uh, you know, record label. Anyone who was around us in our kind of team were all going, oh, it's brilliant, it's a really good album. Oh, I've got high hopes for this. I can see this doing well. Oh, well done, boys. Oh, you might have just cracked it now. This is going to take you up another notch and all this kind of stuff. Which So we were obviously thrilled about it, you know what I mean? And then 
so then after we delivered the album to the record label, we, we ended up going back to England, back to Liverpool, and we started basically straight away touring again. And then it just, word kind of filtered through, and then we had to go for a meeting in the Sony headquarters in London. And all these people who had kind of told us how good this album was and how they had all these high expectations, they basically, like, just... They were like turncoats, you know, and they just turned them. That's not good enough. We haven't got enough singles. Uh, it needs to be better. We don't think it's good enough, and we can't see it doing really anything for you. And we were like, <laughs> like, what? What the fuck? We're like, what the fuck are you on about? Fucking, you know, three weeks ago, you were fucking kissing me ass, saying how fucking good it is. And then it was just a really weird time. Proper fucking brain damage, man. My head was wrecked, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, so as a, as a result of that. The, um, we got dropped. The record label dropped us, and and as, as soon as the record label dropped us, then the management left, the agents left, promoters left. It just one by one, everybody just died off, and we were just left in a position where we didn't have any record label and, and no way of putting the record out. Apart from, I think you mentioned then earlier, we, we still had, we were still signed. Those are Sony France. And they said, we'll still put the record out in France. And it came out in France. And I think, I might be wrong, I think it might have come out in Japan, you know, as well. Okay. Yeah. But, but, it, but it was only partially released. And it was just the beginning of the end, you know, it was all going downhill. And, and then, you know, we, we came to a decision then that rather than sort of continue on and sort of like drive it into the ground, we wanted to kind of leave it and disband and split up. And leave it on a kind of high level, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so that's why we kind of, with a heavy heart, like I must admit, we 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 all decided let's let's knock it on the head type thing and uh, mm. just go off our separate ways, really. Yeah. You know. Um, mm. So out of interest, Matt, you mentioned it was a, a bit of a departure. You, you, that's what you said about the, the, that second album. But yeah. so what was it? What was it like? How different was it? Um, it was just a bit more. I'd say a, a little bit more leaning towards rock, but it, it doesn't sound rock at all. You know, I can't think of, of a better word to describe it. But it was a bit, a bit more kind of like um, there was base. For example, there was basically there was like one like kind of reggae-ish song one <laughs> on it that it sounded a bit similar to what had been on the first album, and the rest was just just more sort of like loud and proud kind of melodic uh, and anthemic type type sounds, do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, rather than a kind of like stylized, sort of like reggae ska, punky, do you know what I mean? It was, mm. uh, it, it was more kind of like, uh, I suppose like, yeah, I, I would just say it was like more melodic and, and a bit more harder and a little bit more anthemic. And there's no way to sort of get that out to people now with like modern technology, being able to release it online or anything like that. Is there, is that, is that gone now? Do you think is that sailed? I, I've never thought of it in that way, to be honest with you. About, I suppose you're dead, right? In, in this, in this day and age, we could whack it up on, you know, Spotify or whatever, mm. or the streaming sites or whatever. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of like legal, you mm. know, problem with it because I don't I don't know who technically owns the album Sony may still technically own the album so usually you'd have to go through some kind of bloody red tape and you know <laughs> <laughs> they'll probably they probably, like, probably want some money or something for it I don't know yeah. but, but actually it's funny you should mention that that, that 
that might be something to look into. I never really thought about it. Yeah, yeah. Surely, surely it wouldn't do a big record company any harm saying, "Oh, well, we've got this band's album we just put out. It might get a few a few quid in the bank for them." Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's and it's funny because like 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 we've been talking about, it, it was only partially released. But I remember in France, it, it did okay. Do you know what I mean? So, and there was definitely um, people it, people in France who were interested in it. Um, and they would do a, you know, existing Dead Sixties fans who were well aware of the first album. They were digging the second album as well. Yeah. So there, there was definitely a, there was definitely a, a little bit of kind of demand there in, in France for it. Maybe we should just go go and live in France and just knock yeah. the album out. <laughs> <laughs> the campaign starts here. Get the album yeah. released. The campaign starts here. Come on. <laughs> Uh, but Matt, look, one door shuts, another opens, and you've ended up playing with the specials. You know, I know we're going to talk yeah. about some of your solo stuff, but this sounds yeah. like, you know, excuse the pun, a very special thing for a, band, a guy who's influenced by that sort of music. Um, yeah. How did it yeah. come about? Um, you know, what what's it like? Well, yeah, well, that that, that was cra- crazy, actually, the way that, because obviously, uh, just sort of, yeah, the de- when the dead 60s split up, um, quite soon after that I came to Ireland and where I've been ever since and I was doing bits and bobs sporadically in music but nothing nothing proper I wasn't really doing it to a kind of professional standard or or whatever I was just kind of floating around a bit a little bit lost to be honest with you didn't really know what I was going to do or or what but but I knew that I wanted to still do something in music but I just couldn't quite get myself going on my own so anyway, so I'd kind of be messing about doing bits and bobs, and then literally one one day, <laughs> I was in my mum's house, and I was I was watching I was watching fucking Cash in the Attic or something, you know, on the TV, <laughs> you know, <laughs> daytime TV, feeling a bit sorry for myself, and I get this, uh, I get an email. It was I got an email first, and it was off uh, a guy called Steve Blackwell. He's the specials manager, and he sent me he sent me an email, and he said, "Hi, this is Steve." Like well, blah blah blah. I got your contact details. I thought, but can I give you a ring regarding the specials? And I was kind of looking at it, and I was going, "What the?" F-? I said, "I said, yeah, yeah, ring me." And I thought, I I thought it was a wind up. I thought it was someone having a laugh at me. I said, "Oh yeah, okay." So then the phone rings. He goes, "Yeah, it's 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 me, Steve. I managed the special." I said, "Yeah, I know who you are." Blah blah blah. We had a bit of a chat. And he said, basically, he said, "We're a man down." Roddy, the original guitarist, he goes, "Roddy's left the band." We need a guitarist uh, to come in. Will you do it? And I went, I was like, yeah, of course. But in the back of my mind, I was kind of going, this is a wind up. And I was just kind of going along with, with, the, with the conversation going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you want me to do? You know? And they were like, can you fly to London next week and uh, meet us? Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I can. Yeah, yeah. And then, I'll, and then and he's like, okay, so I'm, I'll book you on a flight. Uh, where, where do you want to fly from? Do you want to fly from Dublin or what? And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, this, oh, this is happening. And I was like, yeah, yeah, book, book me on a flight from Dublin. <laughs> and this was like the Friday. I remember it was the Friday. He said, can you come on Monday? And I said, yeah. I said, what, what's, it, what's it for? And now he, he said to me, the way it, it uh, the, the wires got crossed and it was a little bit lost, lost in translation type thing. He said, "Yeah, come on, come, come on a flight and bring your guitar, and uh, we're going to meet her at a rehearsal room in London, and we'll go through some songs and give you a bit of an audition type thing." And I went, "Okay, right." So panic starts to set in straight away because for one, I was like, "They wanted me to play lead guitar 
And I was like, I'm not a lead guitarist. I'm a rhythm guitarist and a singer. And I was like, so panic starts to set in. And I says, what songs do you want me to, to play, to learn? Ah, uh, anything, just play anything. And I was like, all oh, right. So then that whole weekend, literally, I spent trying to teach myself how to play lead guitar and how to learn all the specials back catalogue. Do you know? And I was just like freaking out. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I managed to like nail two tunes. Do you know what I mean? That sounded uh, even half kind of decent enough to play. And that was Gangsters and Ghost and Ghost Town. I figured they'd ask me to play them because they're kind of the two. So I sort of got them two songs worked up to a, a stage where, where I could play them just about like. Anyway, gets to London and we go to. It, we, we ended up meeting in, in Brad's house, Brad the drummer, who he, he sadly passed away now. And uh, so I, 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 I turn up and he, he's there. No one else was there apart from him. And he goes, oh, Matt, great to see you, blah, blah, blah. Greets me, welcomes me in. And, he, and he's like, what's that? And I'm holding my guitar case, you know. And I said, it's my guitar. And he goes, what the fuck did you bring that for? And I went, I thought I had to bring it. He goes, no, no, no. And, and I went, I thought it was an audition. He goes, no, 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 no audition. You've got the job. We just wanted to meet you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, the, like the, 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 the colour like drained out me, the relief. I was just like, oh my God, right, brilliant. And I said, so I've got the job. And he went, yeah, yeah. Did no one tell you? And I was like, no, I thought I was coming for an audition. He was like, oh, sit down, relax. You know, come on, do you want a cup of tea or whatever? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so, that, so that's how, how that came about but originally then after that after that initial meeting I was only supposed to be doing one gig it was a one-off thing which was the Isle of Wight Festival um, because they the, see, the way it goes is um, the job was originally offered to Mick Jones from The Clash which and, and I actually think that would have been well better than me. They would, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it was originally offered to him. He knocked it back. He said, "No, nah, I don't want to do it." Then it was offered to Steve Craddock from Ocean Coliseum, mm. Paul Weller. He said, "Yeah, yeah, I want to do it, but I can't. I can't do it now because I'm, I'm. I've already committed myself to other gigs with Ocean Coliseum, Paul Weller, whatever." So it was actually Steve, Steve Craddock's gig. So he couldn't do it. So then I came in the back door. So I was like, you know, super sub, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, I, 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 even though I was kind of, even though I was third choice, do you know what I mean? I didn't care because it was, it was a hell of a subs bench to be on that, yeah. like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 but, but so anyway, then they, they, bring, so they, they said, it's, it's just a one-off gig in the Isle of Wight. I did the Isle of Wight gig. And then they were just like really happy and really impressed. And they kept me on then for a bit longer. Um, and they ended up then, do, it was mainly festivals, UK festivals, um, and uh, but we did a South American tour doing you know uh, where did we, where did we go Mexico and Chile and all like Santiago all these kind of places we did the South American tour with them um, and then and then so that that lasted for it, it was just it was nearly two years I was involved with them playing with them so it was absolutely brilliant fantastic you know and then Steve Craddock came back in then and he still got got the job which which is fine that, that that's totally fine but um, but one thing about doing that was. It was it was a, a, some, some baptism of fire because I I hadn't been on on any really on any kind of stage for nearly five years, and then it was like it was second to top on the in the Isle of Wight festival main stage it was like eighty thousand people. We were the uh, the, only, the the headline the headliner was the Red Hot Chili Peppers and we were on on before them 
and that, and I, <laughs> I hadn't really done anything in five years, and I'm like go walking out on stage with like eighty thousand people doing this thing, and I was kind of like, it's either do or die. I'm going to sink or swim. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll see what happens. Thankfully, it went it went brilliant. A few little mistakes here and there, but nothing to you know, nothing to worry about. But on the whole, a real success. Really fun. Everybody involved was really happy, and that was one of the the sort of catalysts, if you like, that got me. It got my hunger back again for doing music and for playing and for playing live. I mean, there's other things that kind of got me back into it as well. But it was such a confidence booster to be able to have, after you know, kind of basically being sort of semi-retired. Then to come back out and do a fucking massive gig yeah, <laughs> with, yeah. a, with a looking with a massive band, which which the specials is one of the reasons that the Dead Sixties ever even kind of became. Do you know what I mean? It was, so it was just like a, it was all it was a bit surreal. Do you know what I mean? But I was just I was just I was just so so glad that it. I managed to pull it off, and it's just it, uh, lo- lovely memories. I, mean, I have to say, the boys from the specials, especially especially Brad, who I mentioned, he, he sadly died a couple of years ago. They they treated me so well, so respectful, and just you know they couldn't do enough for me, and it's just a, a, a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like an incredible. And as you said, it sort of reignited that musician in you, and you then gone on to do some solo stuff now so uh, i've seen you yeah. describe it as a scally folk so uh, <laughs> can you can you explain explain the sound of scally folk to the listeners well i'd say the, the, the way the way that came about was because it was uh, it was last year 2019 when i really kind of started saying right i'm going to do something i'm not messing around now. i'm going to do something serious and start putting a few bits and pieces out and doing a few gigs and then when i started doing it and then people started to realise that I was, you know, slowly starting to dip my toe back into the the, 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 the musical waters, so to speak. Everyone kept saying to me, oh, what does it sound like? What does it sound like? And, and I, 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 just could, I just couldn't give them an answer. And I was, I'd be there, like, mumbling and stuttering and going, <laughs> it sounds a bit like, oh, I don't know, it sounds, you know, this, I could never give anyone a definitive answer. And then, that my drummer uh, is a guy called Mick Crone and a very dear friend of mine as well. I was having a conversation with him and I kept saying, what does it sound like? Everybody keeps asking me what it sounds like and I sound like some kind of, you know, fucking reject because I can't give them an answer. <laughs> and he said, it's that simple, it sounds like scally folk. Uh-huh. And I went, oh yeah. I just l- loved the idea of it. It just, it, it just, it just totally kind of, washed over me and I thought it described the sound perfectly and also I was I was always very keen to get across my Liverpool Irish roots and I felt that was a great it was a great sort of phrase if you like that sort of can describe what what I am and what I'm trying to do and and, and that's and that's that, that's kind of where that came from yeah. excellent so you've got some more stuff coming up I was kind of supposed to have had my album done by now but you know, with the lockdown and all that, I couldn't get into the studio. But luckily enough, I have been managing to get back into the studio now that the uh, restrictions are starting to ease a bit. So I'm halfway through the album at the moment. Oh. Now, we're, I'm actually back in the studio next week. Uh, and then we're going to just kind of reassess where, where we go from there. But we're close, we're not too far from completion. It's not completion, really. I'm open to have that done and sort of signed off for October. Um, 
and then with with the little record label that I'm signed to now, I'm signed to a little indie label based in London called Fretzor Records, which which they're brilliant. They're fantastic. I must say they've been brilliant for me. Um, we we're gonna we've penciled in uh, early February 2021 release for the album, um, and only actually only just a couple of days ago I had a, a chat at, at one of these Zoom chats with the record label, and they were saying let's do one more single in January and then drop the album February. So that's the kind of basic uh, plan at the moment. But with all this pandemic and everything up in there, it, it may change slightly. I mean, the only reason that we delayed, kind of delayed the album, because um, I would have kind of got it out towards the end of this year, but I'm kind of like, there's no point putting an album up when I can't go and play it or tour it or anything like that. So I'm just hoping that by February, There'll be more gigs and stuff and stuff like that. Um, so it, it should come out then, but there is a slight chance it, it could be delayed until yeah, you know, till the gigs are back in kind of full force. You know, yeah. Fingers crossed, we will have some gigs by February. That's uh, yeah, certainly been missing those that live music and uh, obviously for you, yeah. you artists, it's a really tough time as well not being able to go out and play these shows. But... Yeah, it's, but it's it's kind of funny for me because this whole lockdown and this pandemic. It, it, it hasn't affected me that I only had to cancel three gigs, which are all being uh, rescheduled. Because just just as this p- pandemic hit, that was the time I had planned to be in the studio anyway. Right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So even though it has delayed my studio recording sessions, it didn't it didn't really um, it, it impact on any of my gigs or live stuff. So I was kind of slightly lucky in that way. Do you know what I mean? But... Mm. But it's it, it's a real pain in the ass now, not not knowing wh- when I can get out and gig because I'm trying to set it up now for 2021, and I want to go bang, and I want to play for the whole year. To be honest with you, do you know yeah, as, yeah. as as often as possible? Yeah, give it a good launch. Yeah. Well, Matt, it's been great chatting to you. Now we've kicked off with three questions. We're going to finish up with three fun questions <laughs> in our what we call the encore. And the yeah. first one is we've mentioned a few uh, different places on this podcast already. So here's a choice for you. New York, yeah. Liverpool, or Tom Brack in Wexford? <laughs> I'll leave you to interpret the question, but yeah. <laughs> what would you go I'd for? To, I'd, 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 have, I'd have to say New York, you know. Yeah, New York, yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> Liverpool done it, completed it. You know, Tom Brack, Wexford, that's where I live out in the countryside. Done it, completed it. Do you know what I mean? And I, I haven't, I haven't been back to to New York since the dead sixties days. So, uh, so yeah, go for New York and we'll go on a bit of a mad one. Good on. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> nice one. Second question in the encore is: um, Could you pick out the best dead sixties gig you did? So one that sticks in your memory of being oh, you know, a night you were properly on it. Good, good, good question. That I mean, th- th- there's obviously th- there's quite a few there like uh, loads of memorable gigs but uh, there is one memorable gig that I can, I can tell, tell you it was the first time we ever played in Japan um, and what happened was we went out to Japan really early um, like we hadn't the album wasn't out the only thing we'd released was one single which was the first single You're Not The Law which was if I remember it was a limited edition to a 1,000 or possibly 2,000 copies so there, was, there wasn't many knocking about and we got invited to, to go out to, to play in Japan and the first gig we did was this festival called Summer Sonic. So we get to this festival, uh, and bear in mind, we'd only been doing uh, gigs in England, which were either 
you know, support gigs, or at, at most we were kind of getting at this time around 200 people into our own gigs. We, we hadn't quite sort of started to break yet, if you like. Mm. We went over to Japan and we'd done this festival. We were first on in, on, on one of these stages. And when you're fir- first on, you can come in and do a sound check because if, if you're not first on, you can't do a sound check. It's just straight on festival style. So we got, we got to go in. We, we, we went in and we got to the venue and it was this fucking massive massive hall like this big kind of like sky dome thing that held about i would say held between eight or eight, eight to ten thousand people it was like a mini like a kind of mini arena type thing and i was going for fuck's sake i said this is fucking there was there's going to be nobody here at all nobody knows us we've only just put out one thing in england and they put us on this big huge room early in the day really because the festivals start at like I think the first bands go on sort of like 10, half 10 in the morning. That's the way they run the festivals in Japan. And I was going, for fuck's sake, this is absolutely fucking horrendous. And I, I, I got in the mood. And, and then we, so we did the sound check. <laughs> and uh, you do the sound check like eight in the morning. And I, I, went, I went back to the hotel then to, you know, to sulk basically and, and to try and like get my head around the fact we're going to be playing this big massive venue to nobody. So anyway, got, got, then, then I got picked up and said, right, it's time to come back to the venue. I got back to the venue, I was in the dressing room, sulking, having a beer or whatever, trying to get myself cheated up to go and play to nobody because I was convinced nobody was going to be there. My guitar tech came down and goes, Matt, Matt, quick, quick, you've got to come to the stage, to the back of the stage. And I was like, oh, what now? What the fuck's going on? Like, brings me back brings me back and kind of like peep, 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 peep round the curtain type thing. The place was absolutely packed to the rafters. And I was like, oh my God, are these here to see us? He was like, yeah. And like one of, one of the Japanese kind of, uh, you know, um, stage crew was like, oh yeah, it's a very big band, Dead 60s, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I was like, what? The Dead 60s? <laughs> and I was convinced, fucking convinced it was going to be absolutely nobody there. Anyway, the place was absolutely packed. I mean, it was like, it was like looking out at a, a, a place of baked beans on toast, you know what I mean? That many people. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so we went on to the gig and had a, had, a, had a great gig, smashed it type thing, you know. So that 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 was a memorable memorable gig, you know. Yeah, first time. Brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, Japanese fandom is on a different level, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always I always remember though the Japanese fans and the you, like you 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 play a song and you finish and they go mental like clapping and all like cheering and all that and you know there could be like say. 20 seconds half a minute before you start the next number once the, once the applause has, has, has died down they just stand there in complete silence <laughs> like honestly eerie eerie silence and then then it's like right next number one two three four kick in and then they go ah! <laughs> fucking mental it's kind of like it's almost like a switch like on ah! off <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah so that, that was a, that was a good memory anyway Cool. Uh, Matt, final question uh, in the podcast. Uh, it's a tricky one. What's the song you're proudest of that you did with the Dead 60s? Oh, with the Dead 60s? Um, I mean, I suppose the obvious answer is Riot Radio. But, but there was a song on uh, the first album called We Get Low. And I just thought that was brilliant. I love that song. I love the whole vibe of it because it's a bit kind of like a, it's a bit of a reggae-ish vibe to a bit, bit dub and stuff like that. I love the lyrics to it. I love the vocal line uh, and I love the recording of it that we did. And it was always a favourite of mine to play live, do you know? 
So I would I would say, like I said, I know the obvious one is to say Riot Radio, but, but I'd say We Get Low, that song is, uh, yeah, one that I was really proud of. Excellent. Okay. Fine, fine choice. Matt, it's been <laughs> brilliant to hear from you today, like to hear all about your career. Uh, really yeah, fascinating, fascinating, entertaining story. So really appreciate your time and uh, no best of luck with the, with the album. We look forward to uh, it. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Mate. On, on a Saturday, it's an absolute, absolute pleasure. Thanks for asking me to do this. I've enjoyed our conversations late on great. Ugh, another pointless video call where nothing gets done. I think you're on mute, David. Uh, oh, sorry. What did I miss? IT just approved Miro for the whole company. Miro? That's the... Online whiteboard. For team collaboration. We can make these long video meetings so much shorter with Miro boards. We can share ideas, feedback, and updates on them whenever. Actually see what we're talking about. It's all online. Miro will make our flexible work setup so much easier. With one virtual space for our brainstorms, projects, presentations. Oh, that sounds kind of amazing. So I don't need to wake up for 6 a.m. calls with the London office anymore. Now you're getting it. Don't let time zones get in the way of your team working well together. See why 99% of the Fortune 100 trust Miro to get good work done from anywhere. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.